Today's episode is on practical Taoism in relation to masculinity. My guest is MJ Fitzpatrick, who's a teacher and coach out in Sydney, Australia. And I was turned on to him by my buddy Aaron, who's here in Thailand. And the three of us had a fun conversation on Taoism, masculinity, dating. What else? He's still here. Yeah. Pick up dark masculine, David Goggins, chopping into the joy of sadomasochism and sticking your hands in ice. Yeah. And, um... On the last note, I mean, it relates to, I mentioned a little bit about the Mask and Archetype Challenge. By the time you're listening to this, uh, the challenge is already un- probably going to be underway, at least in July 2019. But you can find out about the next one at masculineunderground.com slash archetype. I think I'm going to be doing this a couple times a year, so stay tuned for that. This is a super fun conversation with MJ Fitzpatrick and Aaron. Right now you're listening to episode, what did I just say? 058, Practical Taoism, featuring MJ Fitzpatrick and Aaron. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. Cool. All right, so we were just talking about Aaron's uh, psychedelic trip. And you are just mentioning how you show up in people's ayahuasca journeys. Yeah. That's I, love that that's, I love that that's the first thing that we're going to talk about. Great. Straight into it. Yeah. Uh, how do you yeah. feel about being an archetype in people's unconscious? Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> straight to it. I mean, yeah, I don't have an I don't have an answer to that question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, like I get it. I get I get what the experiences we create for people give people access to. So I can see why that happens, but I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah. I just think it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a funny, funny idea. Yeah. Cause like when someone messages me, Oh, you're in a dream that I had. I was like, Oh shit. It feels like a lot of pressure. Did I get good yeah. advice? That's the other thing I was going to say. Yeah. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So, I mean, um, Aaron's spoken a lot about your work. Um, and as I just mentioned, I think there's a lot of directions to go into, but one thing I'm interested in is that it sounds like you take Taoism or the idea of the Tao and make, and, uh, have a practical application to it. And like the Tao Te Ching is something that has influenced me a lot. So I'd love if you could speak a little bit about that to start off. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, basically what we teach men, uh, okay, let me, let me start like a mile away and then I'll get to the Tao. So, uh, you know, when I first started my business, um, I first tried to sell to university students until I realized they uh, don't give a shit uh, and they don't have any money. So then I was like, okay, I don't want to work with university students. Where can I go where people are already interested in growing and already have money? And then I decided on entrepreneurs. So build a business with entrepreneurs, was trying to be the next Gary Vee, did that whole thing. And then I was like, ah, it's not actually business. It's actually people. So then transitioned out of that, was working with people one-on-one and then decided that I needed to build a program because you know, it wasn't scalable for me to work one-on-one with people. Um, and so we built a program with basically the tool that I had at the time, which was self-love. Uh, and we had to choose between, or I had to choose between working with men or women. Now I chose women uh, one, because I think it was the right thing. Like if we're talking about the spiritual level of reality, it was what I needed to choose at that time at a higher order level of reality. uh, It just made sense. Uh, And then the highest, like the tip of the iceberg is I just love women and I love working with women. And it's just so easy to teach this shit to women. Like you can just say to a woman, let go. And she will never ask you how. Uh, most of the time you tell a man who's in his head how to let go and he asks you how there's actually not an answer to that question so worked with women for basically two years straight 
Wait, what, what um, were the spiritual reasons or like the, the lower level reasons? Oh, so the, I mean the deep, so we'll get to that. So um, worked with women for basically two years and I'm, I'm putting this together in retrospect. Like at the time I didn't really know what was happening, but I would work with women and basically what I realized we were doing now is, you know, if, if there's your mental self, your emotional self, your physical self, your spiritual self, Women, in my experience, are much more connected spiritually and emotionally, and the normal masculine person is much more connected um, intellectually and physically. So what I was working with these women, we were helping them work with and clear enough of the stuff at the emotional level, like self-judgment, inner criticism, um, if they'd been through any sort of pain or trauma in the past, and really reached that place of self-love. And so then what was happening is they were naturally connecting to spirit because it's just so easy for the feminine to connect to spirit. It's insane. So I was sitting with these women and just spent two years like sitting at my desk, talking with women, talking about their stuff. And they so easily connected to spirit that I was confused. I was like, look, you know, I think I'm, I take a lot of pride in what I do and I put a lot of work in, but I'm not this good. Like basically what the hell is happening? Can we swear by the way? I think I already yeah, swore. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Like what the fuck is happening? So, uh, uh, and then I was going through my own journey. So um, I used to be a militant atheist. The spiritual realm was the fantasy. You know, I had taken my fair share of psychedelics, but didn't really make anything mean of it. Mean it. Then, you know, discovered Jordan Peterson's work, uh, found his Bible series, which I just think is, you know, 20 of the most impactful hours that exist in human literature or whatever you'd call that. Um, and he, he started opening me up to the idea of spirit and that that doesn't have to mean religion. Uh, and then I took myself on a trip to Bali, felt very called to go to Bali, didn't really know why. And then I read the Tao for the first time. And the second time, sorry, the first time I read it, I read it from my mind. I read it from a Tim Ferriss, Josh, Josh Waitzkin uh, recommendation. And I literally stopped halfway through. I was like, this is the dumbest book I've ever read. What, like, this is, a, this is literally a piece of shit. Uh, I then read it two years later. And instead of trying to intellectually understand it, I read it from spirit and it completely, I mean, yeah, I'm speechless every time I try and talk about that book because, it, yeah, it's literally, for me, it's the, it's the way to live life. So I started putting everything together and then I've been working with women for all this time and I started understanding how to work with spirit. And I guess for me, what the Tao is, is, I mean, it's so hard to talk about it because by talk, I mean, the opening line of the Tao is that, you know, the way that can be named is not the eternal way. So like, just by talking about it, we're losing it. But it, for me, it is kind of a manual um, or, or a non-guide of a guide to really living life connected to that place that we all want to live in, which is a place of flow where we can express ourselves, where we can experience our emotions, where we understand what our purpose is and we can really build a community and try and make the world a better place. So, you know, kind of going through my own journey and it took me about two years of just like blood, sweat and tears uh, and like just so much internal pain to find that place internally. And then coming from, you know, a militant atheist background, it was so clear to me that it was, you know, base reality. So then, you know, I tried to teach it from a mental way. So I tried to like explain the Tao to people, uh, tell them what to do, and it just didn't work. And so what, for whatever reason, you know, we've kind of managed to do is we've managed to actually give people an experience of what living life from the Tao is. Um, where you're not in your head, you know, that spiritual part of you is in charge. Uh, and, and not in a, you know, oftentimes when people hear that, they think I mean that in a really woo-woo way. I actually mean that in a very practical way. Like, you know, if you don't 
if you don't have any spiritual beliefs, just exchange the word spirit for purpose or whatever it is, but like experiencing what life feels like when you're on purpose. And then after men have had the experience, we then give them the tools to bring themselves back because with women, you can do it the other way. Women, I can just say like, literally it takes five minutes to do what it takes us to get men, you know, three days. I can just say to women, let go and they let go and they just keep doing it. And then all of a sudden they're in spirit. Whereas with men or the masculine, I should say like, it takes a lot longer just because it's not as natural for us. So once men get it, it, you know, like I'm sure Aaron could talk about it, like just things really shift. And they also need the tools of the mind. And I think that's the other big distinction from our work. We're not just hammering on living a spirit-based life, living a life from bottom up or, or um, you know, guidance or purpose, whatever you want to call it first. There's also, you actually do need your mind and you do need to work with your mind, understand your mind, know how to get your mind to relax, let go of like different patterns that you have. You need those tools as well. And by giving men both, that's how we find they can really move through world with purpose and power and like joy, which is kind of what we're really aiming for. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of like uh, when you, when you give someone, the experience of spirit or purpose and, I, and maybe Aaron, you could even share your experience mm. of yeah. experience, but like, I'd be curious, like, what does that mean? Cause I, I'd sure, imagine, so yeah. yeah. So first things it's all through conversation. So, um, you know, the, the, the prerequisite is that this person is coachable. Um, we've actually learned that lesson the hard way, but if a person's open-minded enough, f- first of all, they're in a room and so naturally when you're in a room versus when, when it's one-on-one and you're with a group and with the group is men, there's a different energy in the room, right? So like if, if you're in a room and you're the only dude and there's a bunch of women versus if you're in the room and you know, you're a guy and there's only other men around you, the entire energy of the room is completely different. So that's the, like we set things up at a baseline level. You know, it'd be very difficult for me to do it with a guy one-on-one who has no context. I've never worked with them before and we're like on Skype or Zoom. It'd be very hard for me to help them to that place. But when they're in person, it's a different experience. So a lot of it is just, I mean, this is going to sound so silly because there really is no way. Like, you know, our work is a three-day conversation about nothing where we don't talk about anything and we don't do anything and yet everything happens, right? Because there's, you know, there's that great line of the Tao that when nothing is undone, everything is done. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, when nothing is done, everything is done. Um, And so it's through conversation and it's getting men to realize like it's just really getting men to realize through asking them the right question at the right moment so that they can really see the distinction, feel the distinction between this is me when I'm in my mind. This is me when I'm in the matrix. This is me when I'm in the real world. And it's different for every man. For some guys, like there was a guy in Aaron's container who used to live that way. And it had been seven years since he uh he had kind of had that experience of being in the way being in flow and literally the whole process for him was me asking him what if you never actually left what if it was just an illusion that you had left that place internally and like that his eyes started blowing up and he was back home and so what we do is we basically have a way of questioning and kind of talking to someone's mind or talking with a person that the mind actually can't answer the question Right. So, you know, if you ask your mind a question, how can I let go? Your brain actually doesn't have an answer to that question because there is no answer, right? You just do it. And that's not really an answer. And so we constantly have conversations with people where we're constantly like putting them in these situations where they can really step back and see the cyclical nature of the mind. And then if that person 
trusts me and trusts the group and trusts themselves and is really open, you do that enough and eventually that person will step out of their mind and feel that other energy, you know, the energy of spirit or purpose, whatever, you know, your authentic, your authentic, your authentic self, whatever you really want to call it. And then that energy will be there and then they can slowly learn to put that energy in charge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You want to share some of your experience as you yeah. through it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've heard, it's interesting to me that there's the, with the mental aspects that there's often an emotional component as well to the different parts of your mind. So you'll actually feel something differently when there's a different part. Um, for example, the part of, part of you that wants to protect you from like women, for example, was a huge thing for me. And I know for a lot of guys. So, and that's a distinct feeling of like, it could be, it will be either be like anger or rage or something like that. Or it could be just be like, even self-loathing, like there's different levels to it, but it'll come with a distinct mental pattern of like, you know, thoughts and beliefs, like, and you can basically, if you talk, it's, it's a distinct emotional difference between that and then the experience of letting go. Yes. Um, yeah. When you eventually let go, then it, then it actually like, it's like that feeling of space inside yourself, almost, yes. which is what yoga teachers and stuff talk about. Like it's a physical difference. Yes. Um, whereas yeah typically the anger and stuff like that all the quote-unquote negative emotions um they tend to be tightening like some sort of it, it's usually it's usually the control mechanism mm-hmm. like that constriction yeah, yeah. constriction yeah. on the internally so there, there are physical there are physical tells in my my experience when we were doing the container and then bursting into tears is often is, is yeah often yeah. one yeah. And and just to give the distinction there, what Aaron's talking about is like, you know, earlier when I said you need to have the tools of the mind as well, that's what I was talking about because, you know, it's great if uh, when you're in Bali, like I was, and you can spend all day reading the Tao and you can connect to spirit. That's awesome. And then you come home and you've got to run a company. You've got a family, you've got a girlfriend, boyfriend, like you've got this life to live and you're going to get triggered. Like, welcome to being a human being. You are going to walk around be having a great day and then someone's going to spill your coffee and you're like, you're going to get triggered by shit. And so, it's so much more powerful if you can constantly work on letting down the walls, which cause you to get triggered and also have connection to spirit. And for me, that's, that's really what we give people. And that's, I just, you know, that's when the magic happens. And so when I'm with someone and when, when you're with someone in the room, the biggest thing that we're following and that I'm following is the body, right? Cause like some, some guy can come in and know all the right things to say and all the right words to say at the right time. And he'll build this wonderful mask but his body isn't moving or his body's very tense or he's not smiling or there's no light in his eyes. And so like Aaron was saying, it's a, it's a felt experience. Like connecting with spirit is something you feel in your body and you can't fool yourself from it. Like I often tell the guys, if you're questioning whether or not you're in spirit, you're in your mind. Right. And so there is this profound sense of knowing when you reach this place that you're like, Oh wow, this is who I really am. Or, you know, I've always known this or I've always kind of believed that this is who I am. And so it's yeah when guys feel it you you know and oftentimes there's a you know there's tears or there's some massive physical tell um and then the other thing that we really use which is actually was something that was really impactful for me is we use ice uh i don't mean crystal meth uh we use like uh you frozen know water. yeah frozen water um <laughs> you know i did some training with one of Wim Hof's trainers uh and it was so interesting. There was like a guy and a girl training us or a masculine and the feminine energy training us. And the masculine's approach to the ice was, you know, um, it was, it was about surrender, but it was also about, 
um, you know, performance and this will make you better and let, you know, lessen your stress. And then this woman teacher, she, you know, her name's Ing, she was like, yeah, just, you know, why would the ice make me cold? You know, I'm an energy, the ice is an energy, you know, I'm warm, the ice is cold. Why should the ice, you know, affect my energy? And we're just like, all right, that doesn't mean anything, but let's give it a go. Uh, and what ice, what the ice does is it's about putting, putting yourself in situations where you actually can't proceed unless you let go of your mind. And so we get guys to put their hands in the ice oftentimes up, for up to 10 minutes and the ice is freezing cold. And the first five seconds that you put your hands in the ice, all you want to do is take them out and you actually cannot last 10 minutes unless you surrender. Because if you just try and use pain to force yourself to get to 10 minutes, eventually you'll give up or you won't be able to do it five, six, seven times in a row. And so the other huge thing we do, and we often recommend guys doing this, like just putting your hand in, putting your hands in freezing cold water. You know, I'm not a doctor. Don't try this at home, but putting your hands in freezing cold water and just practicing being with the feeling. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I have this uh, mask and archetype challenge going and it'll preview for you. Uh, day three is actually dealing with cold water, but specifically to practice grounding. Because like with emotional tension, it's very hard. It's like, oh my God, I'm nervous about this pretty woman or this public speaking thing, you lose consciousness. But you can, you can ground the sensation of cold. And the way most biohackers do cold showers is they try to fight against the cold. And like you said, yes. you're going to run out of willpower eventually. You're going to feel all this pain as opposed to doing the grounding principles of feeling your body and expanding in response to an uncomfortable sensation. It's the same yep. type of practice. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and especially like, you know, this, this training we did in Canada, like they literally cut a hole in an ice lake for us to get in. Like the, and the ice was like, you know, a foot thick. So like, it's such a fight or flight situation for your mind that you like the sec, like the, you'll actually go into hypothermia if you don't let go. Like, unless you're actually just being there with your body and trusting your body that it's going to be okay. And again, the crazy part is your body will actually tell you when to get out. And most people never reach this place. Like, they, they tell people who do scuba diving, like, you know, you can hold your breath for a long time and your body will tell you when you need to go and, like, get up and breathe air. And you have the same experience when you're in the ice. When you're in the ice, you know, your, your mind will go crazy. It's actually it's such a microcosm for life. But you have the, you know, you have the pain, you have the triggering, your brain goes bananas because it's trying to protect you from the pain. You sit with it, you be with it, you ground it, you know, you let your consciousness be there. Eventually your mind will relax. And then eventually your body, and it's so hard to describe because it's a sensation, but your body will just come and knock. You're like, hey man, we should probably get out now. Right. And then it'll knock a second time and it'll be like, all right, man, we should really get out now. And then the third time is effectively like imminent um, like collapse. And that's like, I actually never push him to that third time, but you know, if you even hear about Jocko Willink, he talks about training as a seal and they would train people to go to that third point, right? They'd feel the first knock, the second knock, and they would train people to get to that third point so that then they had that experience and people could rescue them. So like, there's this deep wisdom of your body and this deep relationship with your body that you can build, but most men especially can't access it because they're so stuck in their head and they're trying to think their way out of their mind. They just go in circles and then, and then they try and conquer, which just makes it even worse. And so that like, yeah, they just get stuck in these vicious cycles of pain where the answer is to actually stop trying. Uh, but most men have just, like it's so counterintuitive for the masculine to kind of live this way that for a lot of men, yeah, all they're doing is making it worse. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said about the environment you create. 
because I mean, something in my, let's say sexuality training, women can pick up on cues that are not unspoken really quickly. Like one of my yeah. teachers, teachers would say like a woman, all a woman needs typically to learn how to go into orgasm is to see another woman in orgasm. And then she immediately gets it like no explanation yeah. needed, but men need the weekend workshop or like the year long workshop. Yeah. And, uh, well, I was curious about, um, how you create space for men, maybe, maybe in more detail, because that's basically what ritual magic is like yeah. creating the space to affect the subconscious. Yeah. But it's very rarely spoken about in all male environments. Like you go to yeah. a men's group, fluorescent lighting and other things that would yeah. totally dry up a woman, but in <laughs> any yeah. co-ed environment, it's usually a much nicer ambiance, but can you speak yeah. on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, look, uh, I, I mean, I can give you so many answers to this. Like let's, let's work through them all kind of, Let's work through four levels. So like, okay, mentally, uh, we're very selective with who we work with. You actually have to pass a filtering test. And like a lot of companies will say that. And that's just actually their sales process. For us, it's actually legitimate. Like before a guy steps into a room, he's watched a video on the values that we're going to run the weekend by. He's clicked that he's willing to attend that value. And after some experiences we've had recently, we'll actually just kick men out of the room. Um, and we'll refund them the money and say, hey, man, we're not for you. Like, you know, we need our seminars to run in a particular way for us to do this and you can't follow the rules and that's okay. So, you know, you can leave. So that's really important. Um, you know, the, I'm also just like very good at creating safety. Um, I think such a massive teaching of ours is non-judgment. And for, for men, especially um, when you can create that space of non-judgment and they feel that you're actually not going to judge them, they feel a little bit safer and they start to let go a little bit. Um, emotionally, uh, we do things to like help the room bond every room is different. So it can depend on different times, but oftentimes, you know, men feel like they want a wolf pack, but they feel like the lone wolf. Uh, and, you know, just saying that to men will often drop the room. Right. Even as I said that you started smiling, like, yeah, I looked at like, <laughs> yeah. And like, like just saying that in a group of men will often drop the men in. Um, physically we're always in a really nice space. Like we picked the spaces where we're going to hold, you know, our experiences very carefully. Um, and then the biggest one is spiritually like, you know, it's, I'm just in like, I'm in such a profound space of flow for me when I'm ever, I'm in that room. Like, it's just like, I'm genuinely just a vessel and like I can, you know, a 24 hour experience or a three 72 hour experience can feel like a heartbeat for me. And that's like actually genuine. I'm not just saying that, that, yeah, I'm just kind of trusting. I'm, I guess I'm just trusting so profoundly that like, I'm not in my head. Um, and so everyone can feel my energy. And so I'm kind of grounding the room as well. And I think my energy is very important because, you know, as the leader in the room, if the guys can genuinely feel like I care which is probably the biggest thing that men talk about. And, and that's, now that I'm kind of talking about this is probably the answer. Men can just feel that, you know, myself and my team really care and really care about them. Like we're not just saying that, like we actually fucking want the best for them. And I think that makes men feel so safe um, that they let go. And then the final thing is like, I'm, I'm masculine. And I think a lot of people who teach the material that similar material that I'm teaching, they're actually in their feminine. And that's awesome. And a lot of men will not listen to them for that reason. Like you listen to someone like Eckhart Tolle, like incredible teacher, unbelievable things. If I'm like an average, normal, masculine dude, I'm never going to listen to someone with that energy. 
because I just I feel like I feel like I'm more powerful than them. I feel like I could conquer them, you know. Which is I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's how a lot of men think. And so yeah. having an energy where men can feel that I'm also not going to take shit is really important. But I mean, look, Aaron probably has a better answer to that than I do. Yeah, like the huge thing. Like I already knew. I'd already learned a lot of the grounding principle, like the idea of grounding and what that actually means in terms of being in your body rather than your mind prior to doing the container. So when when you use the expression being either either on the bus or off the bus, like off the bus being on your, in your mind and trying to rationalize everything, and on the bus actually being in your gut brain, kind of feeling the experience and. Yeah, you, like you said, you can't actually tell the difference with you specifically. Like, I, I didn't even know what the term, I didn't know what the term holding space was until I went to the Kill Your Demon seminar. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's it. That yeah. sort of experience. Um, where you're actually, where literally like, like fearless men have like a concept of a container. The entire room basically becomes like that. Like when MJ's talking to one of the guys or one of the, or, or guys talking to each other a lot of the time in that situation where yeah there's no there's there's almost no alternative because you can immediately tell because there's, yeah. there's there's a physical sensation of a, of like if a guy's in his mind you could and this is metaphorical but it feels like you could flick him and he would fall over mm-hmm. yes. like that's actually the physical sensation yes like uh, one of the guys like yeah, one of the whenever someone was was out of their out of their body for whatever reason it was literally that like yeah it's so apparent the whole energy in the room shifts um and yeah like the uh, the other thing is um honestly usually everyone drops when the first guy gets emotional like once the first guy starts crying um yeah like just from that moment forward everything changes um because you know like a lot of men we've worked with have never cried you know, might not have cried in a decade, like literally a decade since they've cried. Uh, and um, they also oft- oftentimes have never cried in front of someone and never cried in front of a group of men. So it's an incredible experience when that happens. And then also, and this is like, this isn't going to make sense to a lot of people, probably makes sense to both of you. Like, I also don't worry about any of this at all because like by worrying about it, I'm going to lose it. Like I, I'm, I, I really do my best to embody the Tao whilst we're teaching. And you should see the look on people's faces when they've paid me all this money in the seminar. They're going to be like, so what are we going to talk about today? And I'm like, I have no idea, right? Like, because I'm genuinely following the flow of the room. And so for me, like, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't get to the container in like an hour before everyone shows up, think about how I want to like talk or where I want to go or anything like that. Like, we do the circle that we create. Like I do get someone to sit in every seat and make sure it doesn't feel like anyone's too far away and everyone can see each other. Like, but that's about the extent of it. The rest is like, just letting go, you know, and I let go and everyone else lets go and we don't try and figure it out. And then like, we just go where we're going to go. And every container is different. Like every experience is different. Um, You know, yeah, we've just like myself and my team, like we've just done so many of these now that we just surrender to the process. And it's, it's very similar to, you know, an ayahuasca trip. Like what we do is, is much more like a psychedelic experience than it is going to a seminar. But the beauty is that you can do it sober. Hmm. Yeah. The, the last thing you mentioned on the cre- creating the scene or the setting, you're mentioning your masculinity or your groundedness. I forget what word you use. And uh, it's making me think a lot of like 
with dominance hierarchies amongst men, it's not that every man necessarily wants to be top dog. It's that they want to be in presence of top dog. And I was thinking about, we were actually speaking about this like last week. Like mm. I have a friend who's taking care of these two 14 year old boys and they're super rambunctious and like they're, you know, committing crimes all over the city and like they're doing stuff and they're really like, you know, people call them toxic masculine. And they're like, why won't these guys listen? But I'm like, the man in question is so ungrounded that of course they won't listen. I'm like, if they were just around like, a real alpha male, they would settle down, they would sit down, they would go to school, they do all the things yeah. that we want them to do, but they need to be in the presence. Like that's, it's in their brain to only listen to the actual gorilla. Yeah. Alpha male. Yeah. yeah, man, like just so many things from what you just said, like yes to everything. And, um, you know, because I've spent so much time working with women and now working with men as well. Like, and, and, you know, when I say women, I mean women who are feminine at the core and men, men who are masculine at the core. There's obviously people who go either way and people who don't fit, you know, either into either boxes. Um, but, you know, working with women, they, they'll often comment on my energy. Um, whereas when I work with men, what men comment on is how I speak. And what I've, it's so interesting because exactly to what you just said, what I've realized is men men need to know that I know what I'm talking about and I can handle them. And it's really like handle them. Uh, you know, before I started getting into this in the early days, when I'd sit down with a man, he wouldn't let me give him advice. He'd spend five to 10 minutes asking me questions. And what he was doing was he was trying to figure out why I made the decisions that I did to reverse engineer them to see if he would have made the same decisions. And if he would have made the same decisions, he'll listen to me. And if he wouldn't have made the same decisions, I can't, I can offer him nothing. And, you know, I've sat with thousands of women. I've probably met one woman who's done the same thing. Right. And it, these differences that we have in relationship to authority information is, I think is so true. And then the final point is just on your concept of alpha male, like, or, or that idea of alpha male, like, I think most men think alpha male means like biggest guy in the gym, hottest girlfriend, most money. And that's actually you know, there's a light and dark side of masculinity. If we're talking about there's masculinity of the mind, masculinity of the body, that's actually not the quote unquote alpha male. You know, if you go and look at chimpanzee societies, the commander in chief, the top dog is actually the consoler in chief. Like he spends the most time with the women. He spends the most time nurturing. He spends the most time with the, um, like the elders who basically helped him get in that position. Like his actual job is to effectively build community through safety. And I think that for me is the alpha male. And I, I like, I wholeheartedly agree. Like these two guys who are out there causing mayhems, like if they just had some energy in the room who could hold them, not from a place of dominance. Cause if some man just tries to dominate those kids, they're just going to get resentful and it's just going to get worse. Right. And it's just going to, it's just going to spiral out of control. What they actually need is someone to hold them. Um, you know, I, I even think of like Mike Tyson going to Customoto's house. Like he talks about how, like there, he didn't, there were no expectations of whether he was going to steal stuff or anything. Cus just had such a like nurturing instinct and such a, such a masculine kind of like presence. Yeah. And Mike, Mike just like, you know, treated him like a father. And then obviously you can see the difference when Cus dies or like the path Mike goes down. And so, yeah, I think what you just said then is really profound. Yeah. Yeah. With Mike Tyson, I mean, he was a killer. And then this little old man <laughs> just gave him fatherly love maybe for the first time. And he just wanted this old man's approval. Like that's, you know, that, that realigned, that aligned him back with society. We were talking about collective unconscious and yeah. stuff like a lot. I mean, a lot of the rites of passages that men have lost out on were basically older men 
uh, humbling the younger men so the younger men knew that they have a place and a purpose, which we mostly don't have <laughs> as or, men. Or like you said, like it'll be some sort of guy dominating because I was just, because we had a, a part of that conversation was me remembering my times in high school. Why, even though I went to like an all boys school and they were talking about how they turned boys into gentlemen, like it didn't, it doesn't fucking work because half those kids get either get kicked out. I know a lot of them like have committed crimes, like not a lot of them, obviously, like minuscule, minor amount, but still it didn't, it didn't exactly work. There was playground fights. There was stuff like that. And all you got was like some guy trying to be an alpha male. It was literally yeah. that dominance thing, which is the like yeah. the vice principal going like, oh, you know, people say that boys can't sit down because they're boys. Rubbish. You can sit down for three hours, you know, just fucking doing this. Yeah. It's, it doesn't fucking work for like yeah. exactly that reason. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Like I was just thinking about my experiences with high school. I was, uh, irrespective of what hierarchy you want to build, I was on the bottom of that hierarchy in high school. I definitely yeah. felt the impacts of that. And there were people, there were men in high school who they were the most physically dominant man in the high school. So they could beat everyone else up. And he was at the top of a hierarchy. But then I just think about like the captain of boarding at my old boy, boys school. He was actually just the best dude. Like he was actually just the greatest bloke. And it, yeah. Wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the greatest bloke from people pleasing. It was the greatest bloke from care. And he was also at the top of a hierarchy. Mm. Yeah, we all wanted to be friends with him. We all just wanted to like make the other guy look somewhere else. And so I think that that like that pulling apart and like what you were just saying, Rowan, like that rites of passage of taking men from you know hierarchy of dominance to hierarchy, which in how I think about it is effectively service. Mm. I think that's what we're missing. Um, and I think yeah, like that rites of passage that we should all should have gone through or hopefully can go through in the future to actually allow us to realize that this masculine energy that we all have is so powerful and it has a light and a darkness and the darkness is the dominance and the crushing and the conquering and well, conquering can go either ways, but it's that dominance. And then there's the lightness, which is service and love. And if you can have both and you need both, right? Like if you want to have incredible sexual relations with a woman, you need that darkness, you need that part of you that wants to dominate and wants to take control. And you also need to have enough control over it that you can deploy it rather than it just going all the time. Um, and I think if you can do that, like that's, yeah, I just think that's such a beautiful masculine place and you're just going to move through the world and just try and actually do what you can to make things better, which is what I just think we're all here to do. Hmm. I've kind of a philosophical question for you on something you mentioned on being coachable. Because that's something I think every coach, you know, I've experienced the same thing. Like there's people who are unwilling to meet the work or they're unwilling to engage with something that would help them, whatever the backstory is or the reason is a common type of person. Uh, what is your take on that? Maybe not even from a practical level, but philosophically, like what is, what is that? Does that person need to go on the journey themselves? Like what, how do you view it? I have no idea. Um, Yeah, it's hard because, like, philosophically, you know, you know, philosophically, they're just not ready. Um, but also, it's it's really hard for me to not like. I have to do a lot of work to not make people who are not coachable wrong, because um, I really want to like. When someone's fighting me, like when I clearly know the answer and I know I know the answer and it's not my ego, I'm like, dude, I know exactly what you need to do to solve this problem, which is clearly causing you massive amounts of pain and they're fighting me. It's like, I'm a human being. It's very hard for me to deal with my shit in that situation. 
Um, and you know, it, it's just, I'm, I'm not the right teacher for them. This isn't the right experience. Um, they're not in the right place in their life. I might be using the wrong energy. Like they might need a feminine teacher. They might need someone to nurture, not push. Like there's a million reasons why, you know, we're just not right for each other in that moment. Um, and I think philosophically, like it, it's hard because they're, they're not ready. And also for me, there is choice in there. Um, you know, I have been through it. I have been through programs where I was definitely not coachable. Uh, and I've also been through coaching programs where I was coachable and it, and it's, it's hard for me because there is, you know, I believe we have free will. There is this whole thing of choice in there and, you know, they're not ready to make that choice. And I just, I think I find it difficult when people are telling me that they're ready and then I explain to them how to be ready and then they don't do it or they even worse, they say they're doing it when they're really not. And, you know, one of my mentors said to me, like, some people need you to bash the door down before they're going to listen to you. Um, but I, like, I'm just unwilling to work with people. that. So it's hard. Like, you know, it's as much, if not more on me than it is on them. Um, and I also think like, it's so crazy to me that someone would pay money to learn from someone, be it whoever it is. And then just like disagree with everything they say. I'm like, like yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same confusion, which is why I'm asking. Like, so uh, we did we did psychedelics this weekend. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that was mentioned in yeah. the recording, but like, like we were, I was, I was hiking through the, the woods, you know, on my own acid trip, and all I could mm. think about were like a handful of guys I've met in the last couple of years, or what you're describing. Like, they go to every workshop, they've worked with every coach, every modality, and they're spending all this time, energy, and money, and every time they're resisting the simple answer, and I'm like fuck, these guys are like stuck in a bad trip. Like, why are they in such a bad trip in life? Like, it was like, it was really breaking my heart because maybe this is my, you know, bleeding heart ideology, like that I want everyone to be helpable. And I mean, you know, everyone, you know, they just need the right opportunity, but I don't know. It's just like something that racks my brain. I literally half my, my acid trip was like, why do these people, why are they stuck in this trip? I want to like yeah. smack them out of the trip. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard, man. Like, Yeah. It's, it's been a process for me to, you know, I had to let go of that part of me who thinks I can help everyone. Like I actually can't help everyone. Um, I, I really need someone to be in the right place. Like the work we do is very intense. Um, someone needs to be like very stable, right, ready to do the work before we work with them. Um, and we, we've actually added coachability into our values now. So we, we, we only ever had four values that we've explained at the start of our seminar and worked through. And now just with some experiences we've had, we actually add coachability. We define coachability um, and we will kick people out um, if they're uncoachable because it makes everyone else in the room feel unsafe. And I think, you know, the one thing I wish, you know, people who aren't coachable got is the impact of them being that way. Because in their world, they're in the world of why isn't this teacher good enough to help me? And they're not seeing the impact that they have on the people around them because everyone who's not coachable has people trying to help them. And all they do is push those people away. Um, and you know, I get why they can't see the impact. If they saw the impact of their behavior, they wouldn't change. And sorry, they would change. And so their brain like filters that out. Like I can, I get the logic of why they're not seeing it, but it's just so important to like know when to trust people. Like, and this is so important for me to say, like, uh, in, in two of my containers, uh, the, not the, not the most recent one, the second most recent one we did in Melbourne, uh, I did the work, meaning, you know, I had one of my team members there. I gave him the, like, I mean, it's not a staff, it's a, it's a whiteboard worker, but he went and sat in my seat. I sat in the circle and I did the work, right? Because I was so triggered by something that I was like, cool, 
like I, I'm actually doing a disservice to all of you if I keep talking right now. Like there's a facilitator in this room who I trust and he's going to be able to deal with this to me. And I sat in my own seminar and did the work, broke down crying in front of everyone, like worked through all my shit. And so, you know, I make sure that I'm also eating my own medicine um, because I think it would be very easy for me to want people to be coachable and then not be coachable myself because uh, I'm super not coachable at times. I'm like, I know all this shit. I teach this for a living. I've read the books. Like when people quote science articles to me and I'm like, I've actually read the article and that's actually incorrect. Like it's so easy for me to get it up in my mind if like I know more than this person. And so I'm really conscious of like embodying coachability myself um, rather than just demanding it of other people. And I think that helps. Um, but yeah, man, like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so prevalent in the masculine. Um, I see people who aren't approachable so much more in the men than I did in women when we work with them. And it makes me really sad. And like, I just love that person and really hope that they're going to figure it out. Um, yeah. Like I, I don't have a good answer for them because I just, I don't think there is a good answer. Hmm. Maybe I'm just thinking of this now, like, is it, when someone is not coachable, and especially because I've noticed the same thing, men are more likely to be not coachable. Is it a fear of adopting the wrong reality? I think it's a, I think the common thread I've noticed is it's a trust thing because like, let, let's say there's like, when you're sitting in a room, there's the reality that the group sees and there's the reality that you see. So, you know, to give you a classic example, people who aren't coachable, um, they'll, they'll, deny their wins or refuse to see their wins or say that their win wasn't a win, like super common pattern, right? Like there's about four or five things that, you know, tell me someone's not being coachable. So in that moment, you know, there's a guy in a room and there's 13, 13 men in a room who are all telling the guy, Hey man, the ceiling's white. And he's, he is in the room and he's seeing that the ceiling's black for him to step into the communal reality he sees that as the most unsafe thing he could possibly do. Because in my experience, the guy who's not coachable, and I'm speaking about myself now, I went to a program and I was very not coachable. Uh, his mind is the reason that he survived whatever he went through, that where someone betrayed him, he broke his trust, he was bullied. And his mind, he thought his way out of the problem. And so you, when someone's not coachable, you're putting them in a situation where the their deepest fear is being triggered, other, which is that other people are going to hurt me. And you're also asking them to let go of the defense mechanism that they built to fight that reality to make sure that never happens again all at once. So I really get why it's happening. And for that person, it's also the biggest thing that's kind of holding them back in the world. Is this is holding onto this defense mechanism. The problem is with people who aren't coachable, they want to do it their way that, that, you know, they were like, I'll do 99 out of, a, if you tell me a hundred things to do, I'll do 99 of them. And I'm like, that's awesome. It's the one thing that you won't do, which is the thing that will set you free. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Cause it is a rational fear. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've had experiences in cults and stuff and like the, the people who get the most fucked up are the ones who surrender without any sort of discernment. Mm -hmm. So it yes. does make sense, but there's also, perhaps a Taoist way of looking at it if like the people who end up with PTSD in situations like that that I've experienced yeah. they surrendered and then at some point they stopped surrendering so they never made it out to the other side like they got stuck in a bad reality because maybe maybe the ceiling really is black and all those other people in the room are wrong exactly but there is a way to adopt the reality and then continue and then 
decide later whether it sticks to you or not. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just, it's all I need to be coachable is just say, well, let's look at both. It, let, it, it doesn't have to be black or white. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's gray. I don't know. You don't know. Let's discover together. That's all they need. But they're in the world of it's black. And unless you can absolutely prove to me that it is white, I'm not going to move. And it, it's, it's that which makes them uncoachable because, you know, especially if you're talking about something like the Dow, it is, it is by definition, you can't prove it. And so you just, you're just stuck in this conversation where there's nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. yeah oh. People like that, which have like, they have like static realities. In my experience, mm-hmm. those are actually the most brainwashable, even though they're the least coachable, because all mm-hmm. you need to do is poke at their false reality that the ceiling is black. And they're like, oh shit, the ceiling's not black. Well, it must be white. And they immediately jump with two feet into something that might not be correct, as opposed to holding the paradox or the possibilities. Yeah. You mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Working with someone like that and flipping them is a miraculous experience. And I'm, I just can't do it. It's too draining because the whole, like, you know, we've had two guys who we've had guys at various levels of not coachability in our programs and guys who were a true 10, like interrupting, you don't know what you're talking about. Like just the whole thing. I just can't work with them. Um, I find it too draining. It pulls me into my head. And when I'm in my head, the whole seminar stops, like the whole room changes. Uh, everyone else gets into their head. I start feeling unsafe. Everyone else feels unsafe. And it's just like, a, you know, it might be a weakness of mine as a facilitator. Like I can do it, but it's just so mentally exhausting to play chess with someone like that, that, you know, I've just decided that I actually can't do it because in my, in my work, it stops being fun with me when I'm playing that game. Cause it's like, it's just so draining trying to get someone to realize that like they can love themselves and it can be okay. Um, I just find it so draining that I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're successful, they probably will come dependent on you, which will also drain you for a longer time. Yeah. 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 Oh, just, um, uh, did you have enough follow up question on the closing stuff? Cool. No, just on the dark masculine stuff and the ice we talked about before. Like one of the things, I guess you could, you could, yeah, you could call it like a breakthrough moment if you want to use Tony Robbins language, like was when I was in the ice and my hands were in the ice and like, I could have probably, I probably could have stayed there for 10 minutes, maybe clocked some hypothermia because I basically, you, you called it, you basically called out that I was using sadomasochism as like a coping mechanism yep. for like the painful using pain as a fuel source, basically. And first of all, I, an interesting question for me would be, is, is anyone else being like that? And do you just, is that like the ultimate um, ending point for guys that just over, um, I guess, you could, where you turn your mind basically into the ultimate weapon using your like dark masculine powers. 100%. So uh, has there been anyone else? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of other guys who use it to the same who are using that energy the distinction with you though is that you had broken into the joy of that energy because it is there is such joy like you you talk kobe bryant talk about his basketball and he's like yeah you know i'll kill you and step on your throat and i'll bathe in your blood and i'll enjoy it like and i have that i like i love that masculine part of me where like we're playing a board game or you know i feel like it's safe to bring it out and it's like I'm going to crush you and I'm going to talk to you about it. And then I'm going to remind you. 
right? And like, and we all have that, like, you know, most men are so afraid of that part of them because you do need to really dominate that part of you that they're just disconnected from it and they just go super light. And even though they resent themselves for being such a nice guy, mm. but you know, that dark side of your personality, if you put that in charge and you do it to the extreme, you become David Goggins. Now, David Goggins has had a profound impact on my life. He's like a, a true testament to will. And like he has set himself on fire to, you know, burn water to then use the steam to get things to do things his whole life. And look, he's achieved this incredible level of success, but he tells, he says on podcasts, I'm really happy. And you look in his eyes and he's dead inside. So like, you know, I have massive respect for him. He's impacted me in a massive way and I would not want to be him. And so, yes, like the way I think about it, you just have to know that you can go to that place. You don't even have to go there. You just have to know it's an option. And just by doing that, I feel like you're really grounded in who you are and then you can just use the light. Um, and I've certainly noticed the impact on my life and the impact on the people around me, but it's a, it's, it, it's a real unlearning process. Like you really have to unlearn pain and relearn flow. And it, you know, it takes time. Like even, you know, Aaron, when we first met, like we were talking and I was like, look, dude, you know, you're going to get a lot worse at talking to women and it's going to suck. And then after enough time, it will turn back around and you'll actually be so much better than you ever could have been because you're actually using the light. You're not using a mask. And, you know, it was, I'm sure, very hard for you. And then now you're starting to see the other side and you're like, oh shit, this is actually easy. Just for backstory, Aaron spent some time doing pickup stuff and building a mask. Yeah. Many do. Yeah. It's, It's an easier way to... Like, and this might flow into that next topic. We've been talking a lot about um, sort of the zero-sum game mentality you can get into and pick up uh, a lot of like, pickup artists do. And I was really heading down that path just before I did the container where the only way you can make it work really long-term is if you basically have like a massive control mechanism around your life. Because it's just, it's, it's an emotionally jarring experience like every day. And I know you, you've like Ruan's had this like a very similar like I think emotionally draining experience with pickup mm-hmm. stuff as well, um, where you're basically fighting. Yeah, it's a it's a fight or it's a fighting. Uh, what's the word? Uh, not instead of flow, it's force. It's basically yes. a forceful way of like proving yourself and getting validation. Like even um even if you don't get laid from like every chick you talk to it's just the fact that you talk to her is like sort of that it's like the fact that you just talked about the david goggins thing made me realize how much uh the culture now especially youtube culture motivation culture glorifies that sort of like fucking pain response and it's just not sustainable i don't think it's sustainable for most people yeah it's sustainable for a very 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 minuscule percentage of people who are basically willing to kill themselves to get their goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, yeah, people buy into that. I think a lot of pickup artists buy into it because there is a nice piece of candy at the, other, at the end of the street, which is that eventually a girl, you're going to meet a girl that likes you and yes. it's going to work. And then they're like, oh, well, I just have to do it more and better in order to do it. Yep. And, then, and then that just sort of reinforces itself. Yeah, it's like, you know... I've also been pretty deep down that rabbit hole, very deep down that rabbit hole. Uh, and it brought me a lot in my life. Like I wouldn't have the woman that I have in my life if I hadn't have learned those skills. And so, you know, I really want to yeah. give that it's due. And, you know, and I'll speak for myself. Like 
to get good at talking with women, especially when you, if you're someone like me who just had no idea, like you basically need to go out three nights a week for two years and just get rejected 40 times a night, 20 times a night. And it's like so hard. It's so hard to go, like going up and talking to a girl in the day and telling her that she was beautiful is still the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Like at oh, night really? time, it's terrifying. But uh, in the day, when I'm like, there's not even a context here, was like, it was, it was terrifying for me. And so you've got to be in a lot of pain to put yourself through something like that. Like you've got to be so desperate to make change that you're going to invest the time, the, the, the fear, the money. And, you know, and again, just speak for myself, like I was 100% in that place. So a challenge with a lot of the guys who teach this stuff is they've come from pain. And instead of using, uh, instead of using video games, instead of using alcohol, instead of using drugs to get themselves out of pain, they use women. And it will work. But, and it's a huge but, like there is no end point and you're never going to be happy. And the guys that I know who've gone the deepest down the rabbit hole of women have really lost themselves. Like, I think it really changes your interactions with how you relate with women. Like when you have complete abundance with women, like it changes how you think about women. It changes how you think about yourself. It changes how you think about the world. And, you know, I think like some things in life, like you want to go into that world. You want to learn the skills, like the skills of masculinity, the skills of boldness, the skills of powerful communication, the skills of just being comfortable enough in who you are to tell a girl, which is really beautiful, right? To have that, like there's those incredible experiences are so necessary, but you do not want to go all the way in. Right, that is not a rabbit hole that you want to go to the bottom of. Yeah, because if there's one thing that's made the difference for me, it's I've started saying this and I don't even know why, like whenever people, when I'm talking about yoga or something like that, it's like the biggest difference to authentically communicate with other people is like connecting or reconnecting with myself. And like, I know it does almost doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make any logical sense to the people when I'm telling them that, but the, most people get it. Like, I'm yep. like, when I'm connected to myself, I can actually, like, express who I am. And yep. girls appreciate, appreciate that way more naturally. Like, they don't even say it. Yeah. 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 Girls love it. Like, you know, I've, my, uh, my girlfriend's a very attractive woman. And, you know, she'll tell me, you know, she'll go out four weeks. That wasn't a... That wasn't a... Just dropping that in there. Sorry, that wasn't a humbug. <laughs> just in case she's listening. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Well, yeah, I'm going to play this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but anyway, the point is that, like... Like she gets approached a lot, like yeah. a lot. Um, and you know, like, you know, it's the bloody RSD guys always, but like, you know, when, we, uh, when I first started, like I would go to the toilet and I would come back and it'd be pretty- <laughs> go away. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, it's always fun when someone's coming up and you're like, Oh, did you learn from RSD? And they're like, Oh God, he knows. Uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah. So, so she gets, you know, she'll go out and she'll get she gets approached a lot like on the street yeah. it's kind of constant for her and she she told me this about three months ago and it just made such an impact for me she was like if 10 guys come and talk to me uh five of them will be drunk and four yeah. of them will just be nice and one of them will, like will have a smidgen of game and then of those 10 guys they'll then need to meet 40 for a guy yeah. to actually comes up and he actually has really good game and the thing that guys need to understand is like you're giving women a gift by learning how to communicate with them because you like the, the reality of a beautiful woman is creepiness, uh, mm-hmm. like a lot of creepiness, drunk guys, like people pleasers, like, and it's just not yeah. like yuck, like, but knowing how to powerfully communicate and knowing how to like 
even just walking up to a woman and telling her that she's really beautiful and asking her her name, like just the fact that you're that type of guy will just change your whole life with women, right? Especially if it's congruent. And what I was really hearing from you then is you were talking about the congruency aspect. Like you're actually, you don't need anything from her. You're completing yourself. You filled up your own cup. You're just kind of going and giving her a gift and you just want to see what happens. And all of that, as you were saying, Rowan, like, you know, all of that's communicated to women in a heartbeat. Like, and then you can just create these incredible experiences with women where it's actually not about whether or not you sleep with them. It's actually about creating like a life together. Whatever that may mean. It may mean like a crazy trip to Vegas. It might mean one night. It might mean six yeah. months. It might mean, you know, five years. Um, so yeah, like it, it is worth learning those skills. It, it's so powerful to be able to be bold around women um, and to learn that skill. It's so cool. And I think the other thing that, you know, pick up or game, whatever you want to call it, does really well is it teaches you, and this is what it taught me, it teaches you how to get good at something. Um, like the skill, the skill that I got the most out of pick up was the meta skill of how to get a skill. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was transformative for me. Um, Cause yeah, it's like the worst thing about pick up is when you fuck up, you don't get laid. And that sucks. It's nowhere else like that. It's like the closest thing is like sales where when you don't get a deal and you're like, Oh, but like when you put a beautiful woman in front of you and you say the one wrong thing and you're like, Oh fuck. And then you lose it. Like that sucks. So many lonely Uber rides home. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fucked it up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it appeals to so many people because especially for a heady guy, it gives you like, oh, do 30 approaches a month to get better as opposed to like, how do I become attractive? Like, I don't know. Um, But I love what you said. I mean, I think guys really need to hear about the gift thing. Like Hans Komain was telling me like how his perspective on seduction is that you're highlighting beauty in her. Like if she's being approached by creepiness, she has mm-hmm. to feel yeah. icky all the time. Yeah. But if you're like powerfully communicating, as you said, it's like you're allowing her space to let the beauty in her actually come out, which is yeah. what everyone yes. wants. Yeah. And yes. To be a better person in a better reality. Yes. Yeah, dude. I, I just got goosebumps like a million percent to what you just said. Like, man, when you can be bold around women and you can be present around women, you allow them to be feminine, which is what they want anyway. And they get the, they get to have the experience of having their heart melted by your genuineness and then it's like, yeah, like, you know, she will remember you forever and she'll remember you from that place of beauty and joy and light. And like, yeah, it's especially when you can grow because those heady guys that, you know, they just do 30 approaches a night. It does work, but then they hit a threshold and the threshold is they need to let go to get to the next stage. Um, and that's like what basically what Aaron was going to, right? You need to let go and actually become yourself to get to that final stage. You do need to go through that heady process where you learn the drills and you learn how to, you know, do it in the right way and you learn eye contact and you need those tactics and then to put it all together and to become, you know, the package or whatever you want to call it. You also need to learn how to let all of that go. And that's, you know, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about this because, uh, well, I don't know if you guys can even answer this because you're living in Australia, so it might be a, a fish-to-water thing, but uh, have you noticed specific things around Australian men, women dating? Like, yes. I was mentioning that Australian yes. women have a reputation of being masculine. I haven't experienced yes. that myself, but I'm curious. Yes to all of the above. Uh, so um, the, the upside of being Australian is everywhere else you go in the world like you're already at second base just by being australian like it's absurd (laughs) it's so absurd like like i was i'll give you you know just for context uh you know back in my earlier life i was at a a nightclub in london um 
uh, and started hitting on this girl uh, and um, didn't realize her boyfriend was standing behind her. I, I mm. don't think I was sober. I fell into him. So all, I'm already hitting on his girlfriend. Uh, and then I fall into him and he's in the middle of rolling up a cigarette. He drops his cigarette pouch on the ground. It empties and she drops her drink on him. And so I've just ruined this guy's night. And he's like, ready to fight and i'm like oh dude i'm so sorry and he goes oh are you australian and i said yes and he's like oh okay you can get out of here and i'm like okay great like i've had the approach you know the the experience of approaching women in vegas and they're being like oh my god you're australian like it, it's a it's a literal thing now mm. deeper than that um the thing that i the thing that was good um is that very few australian guys have game um yeah. at all like if you know yeah. if, if you're just approaching uh, if you're just going up and talking to women in a nightclub, most nightclubs in Australia, you'll be the only guy doing that. Maybe, maybe there'll be two others. Um, yeah. So, you know, or, or there'll be the RSD dudes who are basically yeah. around, like, yeah, who are jumping around, lifting girls up, giving high fives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. someone's wound them up in the back, and they're walk, walk, yeah. like toys, just like yeah. going around in yeah. a circle, and you're just yeah. like, okay, yeah. So, so there, there are big differences, but you know, I think. Yeah. I think Australian women are just like, just want authenticity so badly. Like, mm. yeah, they just want men who can be, you know, men who are nice guys and are not cowards. Um, and most women feel trapped that they have to pick between the two. Hmm. What do you think it is about Australian men? Like, why is it? Why is What is it about I think Australian things. I think we <laughs> yeah. live, yeah, so we live, well, two things. One, um, we live in a culture here where you have to take your shirt off. Um, and that seems so small. But like living in the UK where you didn't have to take your shirt off, it was so different. Like there's an expectation in masculinity in Australia that you need to be built. Like to be a man in Australia, you have to be in the gym. You have to have a big chest. You have to be able to take your shirt off and look good. So when, I think we're in the beach culture or? or yes. Okay. Yeah. The beach culture in the summer and this, you know, this whole kind of Australian ethos that we have. And so I think like because of that, like we have a very strong farming population. Like we just have a very like a very dark masculinity conception of like, like all of our stars are like, they're, you know, we don't have any finesse sports in Australia. They're all like, let's go beat each other up. Like tennis isn't big in Australia. It's all like, let's get the biggest guys we can and smash them together. So we have that very kind of archaic version of masculinity. The problem with that is like, if you're living behind a mask, you can't be authentic. And so like all those guys are talking about how good their game is. And then you put them in a nightclub and they're frozen. And they yeah. can't admit they're frozen because yeah. then the mask has to come down. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a lot of things. Um, but yeah, we could definitely use an update of masculinity. So Australia's are the jocks of the world. Is that what you're saying? But yeah, well, we're trying to be the jocks of the world. We're just failing. Trying, America. yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. That's that's yeah. true. The Americans are definitely the jocks of the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. do have the guns and the bombs. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like oh, that that actually reminds me. You said before, like. Uh, talking to a girl during the day is the most terrifying thing. I actually found it easier than fucking nightclubs. Wow. Purely, yeah, it was, it was it was so much easier because like, I I found it was way there was way less masks and shit like that. Yeah. Um, and some somebody else who's like got his own communication work up doesn't agree with the uh, pickup philosophy at all. He's just like, look, you're not like he told me he's like the reason it worked with you is because number one you have personality number two you're nice number two number three like yeah you act yeah you're just like you're a good dude you're good looking so girls will not just like they'll tolerate it but and also like will be receptive to it 
Whereas there's a bunch of the guys, the other side of it where apart from the guys who aren't approaching because they don't like getting out of their comfort zone, we might touch on this a bit later, other fucking other creeps basically that like, yeah. you know, are trying to get something. But I'll, I'll, I'll back up on the, back you up on like the skills part of the pickup thing. A lot of these guys, they don't really have anything else. Like there's no, there's no rights. This ties back into the rights of passage thing. There's literally nothing for men outside of, you know, self-development programs like this, where you do get, you know, where it's on the bus stuff, where you get yes. grounded and stuff like that. And I didn't even think that there was anything in Australia until I went to the Kill Your Demons seminar. Like there was literally like pickup, like, like self-development pickup. That's it. Like, fuck. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then. And then overseas, women from overseas will complain that Australian men are soft as well. Mm. Like, yeah. yeah, like Brazilians, like Brazilian girls, Russian girls, like they'll be like, it can, it's like, yeah, they're just like, it's like these men are not men. They do not like, you know. Yeah, yeah. these men are not a man. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a South American girl say, like, literally, she's just like, you know, all these men are talking about their need. <laughs> that was a fucked up South American accent. This is like, all these men are talking about their needs. I do not care about your needs. I need my needs met. That's literally them. And, yep. you know, I think there's like something in the culture in Australia, which is very gender equal, where men have started to believe like, oh, you know, it's an, it's an equal value exchange and it's all economic and like supply meets demand. But then there's no passion in the relationship and there's no fucking actual masculine or feminine like yeah. relationship yeah. yeah and i think you know most men like just yelling at the top of your lungs and beating your chest is mm. so much fun like it's so much fun to just mm. do that shit right to just be in a room where you can just like stare a guy in the face you guys can yell at each other it's mm. so much fun I, I you know i literally you know, I went to Tony Robbins' Day with Destiny and he talks about incantations a lot, which is basically this idea of like yelling things louder and louder so you become them. So I bought a soundproof booth. It was $2,000. It was like customized so I could stand at it every day and fucking yell at the top of my lungs. So like, I love, anyway, it didn't work. That's another story, but. Uh, the booth didn't work? Yeah, well, no, the, the incantations didn't work. That's a, that's a separate thing. Um, but uh, the, the kind of, we just don't have space like that. Hmm. Like, yeah, you know, this, I live. I live in the middle of Sydney. Like, I live across from the Telstra building. Like, there's all these guys in there currently just sitting at their job, working in marketing. Like, the last, when's the last time any of them yelled at the top of their lungs about anything? Mm. Right? Like, when's the last time they could just put their hand in there, beat their chest, and really step into that masculine energy in a safe space? And for most guys, it's never. Right? And I think I just think that's missing. Like, we we don't have space for the masculine energy in today's society. And I yeah. think that's very dangerous. Um, and like, I get it. I get why that is the case. I really get it. And we need to realize that like all energies, the masculine has the dark and the light. And the masculine, the masculine darkness control is very powerful. Out of control, it's very destructive. We, don't, we all have examples of that. But we've forgotten the masculine light. And I think men, we get feedback from our seminars where what men are so thankful for is they've realized, oh, it's okay for me to be masculine because masculinity doesn't just mean conquest. It doesn't just mean dominance. It doesn't just mean aggression. It's service and love and compassion and care. And by kind of giving men that capacity, yeah, like men can become the heroes in their own, their own life and their own story, which mm, it's a great it's, 
gets me excited. Yeah, because if it doesn't get to play, of course it's going to do something destructive. Yeah, I've never to jujitsu. I, I, I mean, other than jujitsu being a fun sport and all that stuff, like you get to simulate combat every class, which I just find like so emotionally nourishing for me. Like whether I die or I'm the victor, <laughs> like I got to come close to simulated death. Mm. Yep. Awesome. I feel like that's yep. better than a year of therapy for me. Yep. Yep. I agree. And it's so politically incorrect to say this, but like men really need that. Yeah. Like you warriors, like we need to go someplace and let that part of us out and dominate and be dominated. Like yeah. we really yeah. need to like, to feel connected, to feel whole, to feel like a man. We really need that. And we just act like that isn't the case. Like we don't act like, like that if men and women were siloed into hunters and gatherers by society, which I think is true, then another word for hunter is murderer. Like this is what we all, all men, all masculine men at their core, this is what we're dealing with. And we need to be able to have a conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Like, like you want aggressive men in the world. Now you want that aggression tempered by service, but a man who is serving wants to be aggressive in his life. He wants to go after things and also Women love that. Like women love aggression. I don't mean aggression in the way, let me just back that up so I don't just trigger everyone who's listened to that. I don't mean aggression as in physical aggression. I mean aggression as in aggression towards life, aggression towards goals, right? Aggression doesn't have to mean someone yelling at you. Aggression can mean standing in the line, standing with a line in the sand being like, no, this is who I am and I'm going to go after it and I'm going to get it. And we just don't talk about any of this right? We don't, it's so awkward to talk about this stuff. Cause even just as I'm speaking like this, I'm like, man, someone's going to get triggered so hard because they're just going to pull the bit where I say, <laughs> where I say, uh, I say women love aggression and they're going to take that out of context. And that's the end of that. Like, but mm. you know, we need to have this conversation because if we're going to continue to build society and we're going to make this civilization what it needs to be, like we need men who know that they're the light, right? And they have darkness within them too. And that's okay. Right. But that we all have both. Yeah. Amen. Mm. Cool, man. Well, it's been fun speaking with you, man. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll meet. Uh, I think I will be in Australia at some point this year. It'd be cool to. Awesome. Yeah. Um, where can people find out about your work? Uh, MJFitzpatrick.com. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. And how often do you do the containers? It seems like a, a few times a year. Or yeah. Like- so we do them at the moment. We're doing them about every six weeks. Um, nice. I'm about to come to the States and do it there for the first time. Um, and yeah, but this year and next year will be primarily between Australia and the States. And then when I have people trained, then we'll start going elsewhere. Well, where in the States? Uh, New York. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm doing one in New York in, on the 10th of September or the 5th. Yeah. The 10th of September, I think. So like six weeks. Oh, sweet. Okay. I might be in New York in September. So cool. Oh, dude. Yeah, dude. If you're around. Well, I mean, let's definitely meet up either way. But yeah, if you're around, I'd love you there. It's, uh, yeah. it's kind of- sure, man. Awesome. Any final thoughts on your end? No, nah, that's cool. Long live the Sith. That's Aaron's final thought. <laughs> Dark Jedi. Yeah. Dark Jedi. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.
Kill.